Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Pastoring, when we have done different series, that that's helped somebody with their understanding of the word of the Lord. I couldn't tell you the number of times in my life that people have come up sometimes that I was reading such and such the other day and didn't really understand what this said. And I hope that by something that is said here may help you then whenever you're reading on your own time, maybe deep within the crevices and the cobwebs of your brain, you'll remember something that was spoken from here. Amen. That will help you along the way. Philippians chapter number two, going to begin with verse number 19. The Bible states these words. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort. When I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor. There's a good next name for your next child you're going to have, anybody. And fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not him on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that, When ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Amen. This may seem very, very, well, Brother McGee, uh, out of everything, this seems like this is probably going to be quite dry, talking about two people that are sent to a church. And uh, there is connection, though, today, and I hope to help you with that. I want to talk to you today about a divine work in common vessels. A divine work in common vessels. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we need your help this morning. God, touch every mind, every heart, Lord. I pray, God, that it would be stayed upon you. Help us, O Lord, today, God, to feel after you of happy we might find you, for you are not far from every one of us. We're thankful today, God, for every song. We're thankful, Lord, for worship, for the prayers, the praises, God, of your people. God, we thank you now, God, for your word that's forever settled in heaven. Let it be settled in our lives, and we'll give you the glory and the honor for today in jesus name i pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen you may be seated this morning in jesus name again out of everything that we have talked about in philippians chapter number two 
how the Apostle Paul has commended the church at Philippi to be like-minded whenever it came to love and whenever it came to having fellowship with one another and being merciful toward one another and then giving us the example of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, how God was manifest in the flesh and didn't just take on the form of flesh, but even uh, the lesser portion of flesh, if you will, being that of a servant, even to the place of being obedient to death, even the death of a cross, the most cruelest of death, of all to illustrate this humility to illustrate this this means of being a base yet on the flip side then God highly exalted him and gave him a name as Philippians 2 says that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess many of you are familiar with those verses of scripture so and then the apostle Paul speaks to us how we need to have that same outworking in our life and that we can be a light to the world and the context of the world in which we live and we can be blameless and harmless and we can showcase, if you will, the example of God in our own lives. And then we come to these last few verses from 19 down to verse number 30 and it may seem as though they're somewhat anticlimactic, amen, because in comparison to Paul talking about the Lord and his humiliation and his death and his glory to go from that to challenging us to be like Christ and showing us what that example is like to talk about two people that's being sent to a church on the journey may seem a little anticlimactic. And on the surface, it seems like just that. It appears as though Paul intends to send Timotheus or Timothy that we know him better by, Timothy and Epaphroditus, amen, to the Philippian church. And for that matter, he even tells us, remember, he's in prison. He's saying, we're going to see how things turn turn out with me and I really want to come and see you as well. I want to visit with you as well. And it seems like that is the case. But there is more here than just the itinerary of a couple of guests and of the Apostle Paul himself traveling to the Philippian church. Amen. What we have through the life of Timothy and through the life of Epaphroditus is that that example of Christ that Paul had been teaching to the Philippian church through this letter is really lived out through Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's lived out in their peers, people that they knew, people that they were well acquainted with. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus denied themselves for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of others. Paul sends Timothy... Because unlike others, he says in our scripture reading, he is not self-absorbed. In other words, like we've seen taught in some of the previous lessons, he knows what it's like to look on the things of others and not just the things of himself. Also, he knows how to esteem others better than himself. And so he says, I'm going to send him because he's unlike a lot of people. He's not self-absorbed. And he says, Epaphroditus, he says, on the other hand, in his work, he was sent to me from you to take care of my needs and my wants and to bring a monetary gift. But in, in, in the mode of doing all that, he almost died. He almost died for his service to supply my wants and to do the work of the Lord. He had been sick and you all heard about his sickness and you were concerned about him. But Epaphroditus, the one that was sick, then in return was more concerned about you. Hey man, worrying about him 
then he was worried about himself. And so then we have Paul, of course, the apostle that is in prison, and he's in prison because he shared the gospel, he has shared the message of the Lord Jesus Christ with other people. Amen. Not thinking about, you know what, I might go through to prison for this. But he shared it with other people and found himself in prison. And so all three of these characters, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul, are all exampling for the church at Philippians what it means to showcase the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul shows two traits, two Christ-like traits in Timothy and Epaphroditus. They have the same qualities that are seen in Christ. And here's the thing that we, why I believe the Apostle Paul brings up these two individuals. Because sometimes whenever we consider the life of Christ to be something that we need to follow, something we need to emulate. As Christians, sometimes we're like, that's far beyond me. Huh? I, I cannot I cannot emulate the life of Christ in my life. I, I can't pattern myself after such a lofty example that that's too far-fetched for me. But whenever Paul takes those traits and he examples them in the life of people that were the Philippians peers, huh? and they see it played out within their lives, you know what Paul begins to do by doing this? He's removing, he's removing the excuse of the Philippian church of saying it can't be done. He's removing the excuse of the Philippian church that says, well, it can't be attained, it can't be replicated because that's Christ, that's God manifest in the flesh. No way. But then he sees that they see it happen in people that they know that they've ate at tables with, that they went to potlucks with, that they rode camels with, all right? They see a people that they rub shoulders with, and what they see then is, you know what, maybe this can be accomplished. Maybe this can be done in our life because, you know, God became a man, and he became a servant, and he was obedient to death, the cruelest of deaths, he was exalted, amen. Maybe, maybe, I just don't think I can do that, but Paul says, look at Timothy. I'm sending him because there's no one like him, and he's going to think about other people more than himself. Look, look at Epaphroditus. He's going to serve even almost, to the, he's almost lost his life over serving. And he's basically saying this, if these guys can do it, guess what? He says you can be productive in doing it also. You can live a life that is patterned after Christ as well. Amen. Not to mention, really, whenever Paul is speaking of Timothy, in many ways, Paul is also speaking about his own life. And so he gives us Timothy first, because inadvertently, or maybe purposefully, Paul's very wise. Amen. He is also talking about himself. Again, Paul is in prison. His only means to communicate with the Philippian church is by letters or by a personal visitation, which he can't do right now. And so he purposes to send Timothy, someone that he believes is trustworthy, to go to Philippi, and then Timothy's going to come back and report to the Apostle Paul about the condition of the church. Now, Paul sends Timothy because Paul knows the character of Timothy. In the New Testament scripture, Timothy in many ways, and has been called this even in our text, a son in the gospel to the apostle Paul. In other words, Paul had taken Timothy under his wing. 
Paul was very instrumental in Timothy's conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some things we know about Timothy is that Timothy's mother was a Jewess. The Bible says that his father was a Greek. Amen. And until Paul recommended it, Timothy wasn't circumcised like the Jews. But he said, Timothy, you might want to get circumcised because you're going to be ministering to Jewish people and they just don't understand all of this quite yet. How circumcision and uncircumcision really doesn't matter. He says, so I'm going to tell you that you might want to do that. We also know concerning Timothy, the Bible says, the apostle Paul said, Timothy, he says, I see inside of you an unfeigned faith, a sincere faith that was in your mother Lois and also in your grandmother Eunice and so they were instrumental in instilling a sincere faith in Timothy. We learn first and second Timothy that's in your Bibles. Those were letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy giving him guidance about how to care for a church in Ephesus and so Timothy has been with Paul on several trips, several journeys establishing churches they have ate together they have slept in the same quarters they have traveled a lot of distance together as a matter of fact Timothy has been a constant companion for the apostle Paul for almost 10 years Paul knows Timothy they've served together and he tells the Philippians he says you know the proof of Timothy you know who he is. We've served together, ministered together, ate together. You know who he is. And the apostle Paul says this. He says, for I have no man like-minded like Timothy. There, there is no one as equal sold to me as Timothy is because I've invested so much in Timothy that a lot of Timothy's major traits, amen, are traits that I have myself. We've spent so much time together and I've taught him so much about scripture and about God and the gospel that whenever I look at Timothy, I see myself. So there's nobody like-minded like Timothy. He has a lot of my traits, a lot of my characterization, and there, he's equal sold to me. There's not even another person, Paul says, that I can think of that I would rather send to you than Timothy because he says he's going to naturally care for your state. He's going to naturally care for your affairs. And here is that side of Timothy that's like the Lord. He's going to naturally care for you. He's not, he's not a hireling. It's not as though he has to have enough pay, to pay to, in order to care for you. It's not as though someone's always going to be breathing down his neck to make sure he do, does what I says. But he's going to naturally and organically care for you because that is the spirit that is within him. And he says that, what he's pointing that really that's a good example of Christ amen that's a good his heart goes out to you without being pushed without being forced his heart is interested in you amen without there having to be any type of payment he'll naturally care for you amen because the example of Christ again so lofty how could I ever do that and I say there's times in our humanity we kind of you know wrestle with the fact of to be like Jesus, right? Because, oh God, help me here. Because to care sometimes cost. To care is sacrificial. Some people won't care unless they get a line that talks about how they cared on social media.
And I'm not saying we need to raise a thankless generation. But I'm saying if you couldn't care without it, you probably didn't really care as much as you thought when you did it. Amen. Paul says, Timothy, he just naturally does it. It's not necessarily because he's going to get a lot of pats on the backs. People's going to be sending him fruitcake around Christmas time. No. He just does it because it's just a natural organic thing to him. It's a part of the spirit that's inside of him. And so with this, though, whenever Paul says there's nobody like-minded like Timothy, he's really also talking about himself. If he's saying there's nobody as like-minded as Timothy like me, he's really similar to me. So as he's talking about Timothy, he's kind of talking about himself, isn't he? Amen. Because indirectly he's telling us he has a natural care for the state of the affairs of the Philippian church as well. Amen. And so he must naturally care for them. Paul told us back in verse 17, if you'll remember, we taught on this a few weeks ago, Paul said, I'd be satisfied just to be the drink offering that accompanies the major offering. You remember that? He said, I'd be satisfied just to be the drink offering that's poured out on the major offering that brings it to completion in my life. He says, Timothy, there's no one just like him except me. He's similar. He'd be willing to be poured out and sacrificed for the greater purpose that wasn't self-serving, but serving someone else. And so this, this, evidently, this is the type of mindset according to the Apostle Paul. He says, this is rare. Because I can't find another one that seems like quite like him. This is rare because other people, it says in verse 21, he says they all sought their own. He said people didn't naturally seek after the state of others. For that matter, he goes even a step further. They didn't necessarily think or consider the things of Christ. It goes, yeah. So that makes real good sense because if we're not considered of the things of Christ, sometimes that'll be a stumbling block for us to consider the state of others. Amen. I'm not saying it's impossible. There's good people out there to think about the state of others don't know anything about Christ. It is. There's some people that's better Christians than Christians in some regards. Mm-hmm. But he says, there's some that don't even think about the things of Christ. They don't think about the affairs of others. Matter of fact, you come to you come church and not think about the things of Christ. But Timothy and his father in the gospel, the apostle Paul, like Christ, esteemed others better than themselves and looked on the things of others because they felt it their mission. They felt it like it was part and parcel of their contribution to the body of Christ. Amen. And since this was rare, the Apostle Paul says, you knew when it happened, you knew when it took place that someone thought about somebody else, that evidently the salvation that they received was being worked out. As we looked in a few weeks past, was being worked out in obedience to the spirit that they had inside them. In other words, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, when we receive the spirit of Christ, some of those things come to the surface as we work them out in being obedient to the spirit that we got. If you ever said, you know what, I just feel like doing something or just felt like helping somebody or just felt like giving somebody money. 
by and large, by and large, that isn't always provoked by your human spirit. A lot of times that's provoked by another spirit that you have called the Holy Ghost. But your obedience to that is the working out then of God's will through you toward somebody else. Amen. Timothy and Paul did what they did because they were submissive to the will of God working in their lives. In other words, they could say confidently, perhaps others could say as well, God is at work here because the normal man would not act like that. The normal man would not conduct themselves like that. We'll look at later, Aphrodite would not go on a trip when there's still a bunch of church folk back at the church at Philippi. I mean, why was he the ambassador, right? Why was he the one that went? Why could it have been Joe and Mo? You know, why, why was it him? But he felt compelled, amen, he felt an unction to go and he almost lost his life over it. Now let's say if we could put up in lights or on the application before if you go and do this, it's quite possible you may lose your life. Sign me up. Probably not. Probably not. As a matter of fact, do you have any type of contract that would cover, you know, what am I going to get out of this? Amen. And so Paul highlights this in Timothy's life and perhaps his own, people that they knew quite well, that if Paul and Timothy could do this, then what keeps the church at Philippi from being able to do this? Because what was going on is our, our, our subject today. There was a divine work that was taking place in common vessels. We think, well, you know, in order, oh, you, you got to just be so super spiritual, you know, in order for this or that to happen. God just, no, no. Uh, the book of Corinthians is littered with where it talks about in like chapters 12 and 14, all the gifts of the spirit at work. And the Bible talks about how carnal the church in Corinth was. Because it's the work of the spirit. Thank God it's not the work of the flesh. Amen. Amen. And so here's what Paul told the church at Corinth one time. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. And I will very gladly spend. This is what Paul said. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That's probably where we could derive the saying, no good deed goes unpunished. He said, I'll very gladly spend and be spent for you. That's what Paul says. I'll spend and be spent for the church at Corinth. I think we all can understand this quite well. Uh, years ago, I believe that uh, Bishop Osborne touched on this. Amen. That whenever you spend, how many ladies like to spend some money, go shopping? Woo. You spend and something is being bought. When you spend, I know, basic economics, right? When you spend, something is being bought. I don't care if it was on sale for 30%. Something still got spent. Now, preach, let's talk about it for a moment. No. Just because it's on sale doesn't mean you need to buy it. That's my common saying in my household. Boy, there's almost a little switch there in the atmosphere. <clears throat> Brother Sills wouldn't talk to you about this last week, but I'm your pastor. I will. <laughs> when spending something is bought, 
So Paul knew this by experience. In one sense, Bishop, as Paul, before he was converted and he was Saul, he was a persecutor of the church, he's the one that stated in Acts chapter number 7, that as Stephen told his testimony of all the glorious things of God and became the first martyr of the church, lost his life for his testimony, that the Bible says that those that were stoning Stephen, they laid their coats at the foot of somebody by the name of Saul, who would become Paul. I'm not, I'm not saying there's a direct line, but it almost makes you think that maybe Paul knew this by experience, that Stephen in his testimony and spreading the gospel, his witness of all that he said in Acts 7, which was quite lengthy because he started back at Abraham and went forward, kind of like my preaching. And nonetheless, whenever he got there, Stephen spent, he was spent for the gospel. But I kind of like looked at it like this, Brother Terry, him spending his life purchased an apostle Paul who have the coats of the stoners. And so this spending is seen in other individuals that Paul sends back to the Philippian church. Spending is seen in the man Epaphroditus because unlike Timothy, we really don't know much about Epaphroditus. We don't know about his family tree. We really don't know about what he did. We're not told that he was a great preacher. We're not told that he was a profound teacher. We're not told that he was a great traveling companion in the church of God of all. All we know is what's told to us about him here in this narrative that he came forward in a time of real need to supply a missing link, if you will, or to fill in the gap, amen, for the apostle Paul. That's really all we know. I might say that's really all we need to know because Paul, through his interaction with this man, thinks a lot about him. He calls him a brother. He calls him a companion in labor. He calls him a fellow soldier, not because they had been in the military together, but because they had suffered some things. Both of them had suffered some things for the cause of Christ. And according to chapter number four of Philippians, we'll see later, amen, Epaphroditus had sent, was sent to deliver a monetary gift to the apostle Paul, but he did so much more. Paul said, he ministered to my wants. It's also translated that he ministered to my needs. I'm in prison. I can't get out. I can't really go anywhere. Amen. I, no doubt in times of depression and doubt and feeling overwhelmed was there. He said, but Epaphroditus was there and he was there to, to help me with my needs and my wants. He was an encouragement to me when I was down. And so Paul says, Philippian church, I'm going to send him back to you. I'm going to send him back to you because I understand this is in your Bible. You sent him to me. And he did what you didn't do for me. He was an ambassador for the church at Philippi to minister to me. And along the way, he got sick. What you heard was right. He got sick and he almost died ministering. Wow. He almost died ministering, doing what he felt like he was called to do. And I know word got back to you and you're greatly concerned but I'm telling you, here's the spirit of Epaphroditus. He was the one sick, but he was more worried about you being worried. And he really desires to come back to you so you can see that everything's okay with him because he's worried sick about you worrying sick over him. Huh? Have you ever entered into a situation or relationship with someone that you felt like you was going to help them you're going to do them, you know, some good grace. Come to find out 
they were in a worse shape than you were. And it seemed like they helped you more than what you felt like you helped them. Huh? I got to think that Paul may have thought about this situation. No doubt he was there and pouring into Epaphroditus whenever he was there. He's a sick man, but here Epaphroditus has helped Paul, ministered to Paul. He's worried about other people that's worried about him. There's a self is on the bottom shelf. Self is on the bottom shelf. Is everybody okay? Because, oh God, help me. Why are you putting this stuff in my head? Amen. <laughs> Man, he was sick near death. That had been a good time to receive all the flowers. Good time to receive all the personal letters. A good time to sing the woe is me. Look what I did. I almost died doing this. Being the martyr in ministry. Years ago, Mike Bingham preached a sermon. He said, don't let, your, don't let your sacrifice become your downfall. Again, kind of alluding to the fact that sometimes our sacrifice, we want, we want the attention for the sacrifice. You know, people that live today as martyrs are like this. If you ask them to do something, they really don't want to do it. But if you don't ask them to do it, they're upset because you didn't ask them to do it. So they don't want to do it, but they do want to do it. I don't know if you ever ran into anybody like that. They're martyrs in everyday life. Will you do this? Oh, no, no, no. But then if you say, okay, I'll get someone. Oh, no, yeah, I'll do it. But then as they do it, they're going to complain about how hard and how rigorous and how. I know no one knows anybody like that. <laughs> you know what that really boils down to? It's really all about them. It's really all about them. Because if, if they can't get the endorsement for what they have done, then they got to get the endorsement of how bad they're suffering doing what they're doing. Amen. Amen. Zephyrdias, <laughs> though, he's worried about other people. And you, you really got to stop and take that in for a moment. People's worried about him because he nearly died, but he's concerned about them over their worry about him. Say that backwards and then forwards one more time. It doesn't say he reveled in their concern or took advantage of it. What are you doing, Ephrodite? You're sick, but he's looking on the things of others. Even in that point that he's at. We wouldn't even know about it had Paul not mentioned it. The Bible even says that he was full of heaviness. Now, that's an interesting word, full of heaviness. What that's translated from is the exact same word that Christ felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Knowing he was going to go to the cross, suffer. Whenever the Bible says in Luke, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. Same word. He's kind of being like Christ, aren't you, Ephroditus? You're You're having the same feeling and intention of heaviness for people that Christ did in the Garden before he ever sacrificed his life. Same heaviness. Not only was he willing to be the ambassador to the apostle Paul in prison and to stay there for a while. Again, he's concerned about the condition of the home folk. But listen, think for a moment. Had the Romans, Paul is in prison waiting. Are they going to let me go? Are they going to send me somewhere else? Are they going to execute me? All these things are still up in the air. Had the Romans culturally in that day, had the Romans decided to execute the apostle Paul, 
while Epaphroditus was still there in the area and had already associated himself with the Apostle Paul, do you know that according to the Roman law, they could have easily executed Epaphroditus as well because of his association to Paul? Yet he went, not only ministered, but stayed knowing that if they decide to kill him, I'm a dead man too. And yet he stayed, and yet he ministered. So Epaphroditus is really valuable to the Apostle Paul. Paul says that when God had mercy on him, I like this. He said whenever God had mercy on Epaphroditus and spared his life and he didn't die, he said God had mercy upon me. Yeah, when God had mercy upon him, God had mercy upon me because it would have been sorrow added to sorrow had Epaphroditus died. How can you have such a strong feeling toward him like that, the Apostle Paul? Because he was here to minister and he was here to care for me when nobody else was around. Folks, wouldn't it be great in the house of God that whenever God did something just so glorious in mercy toward you that I'm like, God was merciful toward me as well because there's such a great, great cog in the wheel of the church and my own life and they've ministered to me so many times. Thank you, God, for sparing them because in doing so, you spared me because they've been such a help to think about me, such a help to consider me when I needed considered. Oh, if we could get back to the good old rejoice when they rejoice and we when they weep that if God would help you thank God that he did because that helps me because I'm somehow connected and tethered to you you and you and when you're helped I'm helped and whenever God shows you mercy that's God showing me mercy because we think on the affairs and esteem one another better than the other that when brother Mason got a job here this past month amen that was good for me that when God gave better help to Sister Rhonda, that was good for me. That when God finally financially blessed Brother so-and-so, that was good for me. Amen. And that's how in this thing concerning the church and the church is not just regulated to 1121 Cedar Street but other apostolic Pentecostal churches across the world whenever they're doing good amen if we have a connection amen of considering one another amen esteeming one another whenever they have a five soul revival that's good for me because I'm associated with them I'm connected with them whenever they're going through a trial I'm going through a trial because I'm associated to that I'm connected to that my God Paul said it had been sorrow upon sorrow had he died. Folks, I, I hope somewhere to at least endeavor to live my life in such a way that others will fight for me because they would fill the void if I was no longer around to fight for them. And that's where the participation or the word fellowship that's been in Philippians along the way, the word fellowship or participation comes into play. Because you've looked on their needs. Guess what? When you're in need, they look on your needs. The Bible talks in different places of how there could be equality in the body. Saying that if one lacked, you had surplus. Your surplus helps their lack so that there's equality in the body. 
It's hard to wrap your mind around that God may give you surplus because he's wanting you to help with somebody else's lack. A lot of times we get the surplus and it's like it's my eggs and they're all in my basket. Boy, this is not tithing off for morning, but sometimes our surplus says, well, let's see if the bigger house I can get, the better car I can get. And we might have missed the purpose God put the surplus in our life. I know personally, a lot of times God places surplus in my life because there's a need around the corner that he's going to use me as a vessel to help meet. And he knew he could trust me with the surplus to get it to where it needed to be. There, over the years, I'm just telling you a personal story. You can deny it, do whatever. Over the years, when God has brought surplus into our income, you know what goes on? Surplus goes out to other places. Missionaries, home missionaries, wherever. Because I assume that God put that to me because somebody else was lack and trying to give equality. And he's testing what's in my heart. Well. Hallelujah. Philippians 2 and verse 30. Because, look at this, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. This is Epaphroditus. Not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus was nigh to death, not regarding his life. In other words, he risked his life for the work of Christ. Ephroditus willingly placed his life on the line to serve Paul. Maybe not in tissue. Maybe it's not like, you know what? I'm going to die, so I'm going to go do this. But in the process of doing what he did came the chance that he could have died. He gambled everything, if you want to call it that, and we'll look at that a little bit. But he gambled everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the man of God, Paul in prison, would be served and the Philippian church wouldn't be worried, which had sent him in the first place, that they would be represented well. He just laid it all on the table. This word that he regarded not his life, it is translated from other places outside of the New Testament, other writings along the same time of the New Testament. It is used as a gambling term, the fact that he regarded not his life. It's a word that's rendered in other places that he risked his life. May be used in reference to a gambler that stakes everything on the throw of a dice. No holds bars. Some translations read that he hazarded his life. The old Greek writers used, used to explain it and translate it to mean he exposed himself to danger. Others explained it like this, that he gambled with his life. Nonetheless, it was applied to Christians who risked their lives in the New Testament. We see this, who risked their lives for the dying and the dead. In the post-apostolic church of the New Testament, there were societies of men and societies of women who called themselves, by this Greek word, the parabolini, or the riskers or gamblers. It was the societies of men and women that would risk their lives by ministering to sick and imprisoned people they would see to them, even if possible, if there were people that were martyrs or people that were even their enemies, they would minister to them, knowing that they may have a sickness they may contract themselves. 
They may have a plague that they may contract themselves. Or to an enemy that hated their guts, they're going to help nourish them back to health, knowing that when they get well, they might turn around and kill them. But they did it nonetheless because they did not regard their own life for the purpose of the Lord. Paul, I believe, mentions Epaphroditus because he represents the example of Christ so well because Epaphroditus did not regard his life and he was near to death all the while trying to serve people and serving others. It was very close to the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who did not regard his life and who was not only nigh unto death but died for the purpose of serving all of humanity. And so if the dying, no doubt in our minds, <laughs> you know, if the dying is, is too great a sacrifice, Paul is presenting for consideration. How about Epaphroditus? Why don't you just lay all your cards on the, uh, on the table and why don't you serve others without regard for your life? And I, I'm taking that just on a different level than just why don't you serve others without any regard for your physical life, but why don't you serve others without any regard for your personal desires and wants? Your life. I don't have time. Oh yeah. I don't have time. That is the common phrase of the day. I don't have time. People don't have time. They don't have Listen, it's true. You know, you don't have time to go out to eat, don't have time to be with your family, don't have time to show up for prayer, don't have time to go to church. Don't have time to remodel the house. Don't have time to never have time to mow the lawn, but you have to or you get, you know, eyes at you once it gets a foot high and you don't have time, right? No one has any time. That's the excuse for everyone. I would do it, but I don't have time. But I, I know personally that sometimes when that's went from my own mouth or I heard it from other people's mouths, I know right away I can look in their past 24, 48 hours where they've done things that were totally just pleasurable. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have time to that. We should. But the excuse that you don't have time really doesn't hold anything. What it comes down to is that you don't have time to do something maybe that you are not really hip on doing. What's that coming? It comes down to my wants. I don't have time to help anybody else. I got too much of my own stuff. Welcome to the club. I don't have time to show. I'm sorry. I'm just being pastor. I don't have time to show up on the first Thursday of the, of the month to take 30 minutes out of my day to come pray with you all. I've got other things to do. But you probably watched the news and swallowed up 30 minutes looking through Facebook. And I don't have time to read the Bible. There's just not enough hours in the day to read the Bible. I challenge you here in the new year, every time you get on your phone and then you get off, clock when you got on and when you got off, and you add up all those, you listen to Pastor right now, you add up all those hours that you binged watch series and that you, that you read all this garbage on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. You add all those, do it. I challenge you, keep a spreadsheet, add it all up that you did just little pleasurable, desirable things, and then tell me you don't have time. Tell me. Because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God someday. You're going to look at him and say, God, I didn't have time. 
Oh, God. Oh, God. (sighs) Scripture tells me that we got to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. I may preach this a little bit tonight. Everybody okay? But I find that some of our greater obstacles in our Christian walk are not things that are underlined and spoken as necessarily negative and bad in God's scripture, but they are things that God has given to us to be pleasurable and enjoyed, but we overcorrect in that spot. What I mean is this. It's not that you take all of your time up on things that are totally against God's word, but things that he meant for you to have pleasure in, you overcorrect and take too much pleasure in. That's really the pitfall of today's Christians. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hear me? Nothing wrong with fishing. Nothing wrong with hunting. Nothing wrong with watching a game every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with eating. It's kind of important to lie. Nothing wrong with all that. But whenever you weigh heavy and overcorrect in those areas, and then you miss the essential things of disciplines concerning the Lord. Notice the Bible says in the parable of the sower that he went to sow seeds. Some fell on good ground, some on stony ground, some on thorny ground. Right? Huh? And that which fell, the Bible says, among the thorns, it was choked out. Because of why? Because of the pleasures of this life. It's not that those pleasures wasn't good and meaningful and we needed them, but we overcorrected. And we allowed the very things that God meant for our good, they became a snare to us. This is also in the book of Psalms. I'm way off notes right now. This is also in the book of Psalms. The Bible says, beware that your table does not become a snare unto you. You know what that means? What's your table? Your table is where you eat. The table is, you know, you have a certain appetite for certain, you know, you like Mexican or you like home-style cooking with mashed potatoes and pork chops. You're going to have that at your table. Your table is dictated by your appetite. If you like Mexican, there's probably going to be a lot of uh, tacos and stuff on your table through the year. If you like home-style cooking, you're going to have mashed potatoes and green beans and all the fixings throughout the year. Your table is dictated by your appetite. The psalmist said, don't allow your table to ensnare you. Don't allow your appetite. Don't allow your desires. Don't allow your wants. Don't allow... Amen. I gotta, I gotta get, gotta get. So I'm sending Epaphroditus back, Paul says, because he's indispensable. It's necessary, he says. It's necessary for me to send him. And you can stand with me. It's necessary to send him because he is indispensable. That word necessary is kind of like this, as it's defined in, in the Greek. Epaphroditus is just like one you just can't live without. Everyone needs an Epaphroditus in their life. Because he so closely pictures the example of Christ who nearly died, who didn't just nearly die, but completely died for others. Paul said, 
Such a one, this is what he told the church of Philippian, Philippian church. Paul said, you should hold such a person like Epaphroditus. You should hold him in honor. You should hold him in reputation. You should highly appreciate a man like that. Because he's not regarding his life. You need, to, you need to respect him. And is that not what happened to Christ? He took the road of humility, but the Bible says, but he was also highly exalted and given a name above every name. Humbled himself unto death, but he was highly exalted and given a name above every name. Wasn't expectant, wasn't working toward that end. It's just what happened. So, folks, if the example of Christ in Philippians seems a little aloof, it seems far-fetched, it seems unreachable, then consider the earthly vessels of Timothy and Epaphroditus. If the righteousness of God seems quite distant, then consider the fleshly models which bring it close to men. Because these type of people are indispensable in spreading the gospel. They are essential, if you will, to the cause of Christ. You know, Scripture says in the New Testament, right now the exact chapter and verse fleets from me, but I believe it was Paul writing to one of the churches. He says, what you need to do, Gentiles, is you need to consider some of these people that have taught you and instructed you, and you need to consider, this is what he said, you need to consider their end. You need to consider how they finished. And if it was well, he said, then you don't need to give second thought about patterning your life accordingly. Because if it turned out well for them, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you need to find yourself a Timothy and an Epaphroditus. If this whole thing of Christ is so far-fetched, then find a peer and look at the end of their life. And if it ended well, then that's probably a good, good way to emulate. That's probably a good, just, just here over the weekend, I got up on my Facebook, yeehaw, amen. But Bishop, Bishop Billy Hack just passed away. He had a major stroke, and that took him on into glory. He's 90 years old, 90 years old. He pastored at his church, if I'm not mistaken, almost seven decades or 60 decades pastored. Man of God, simple man. When I say simple, I'm saying he didn't, he didn't require a lot. My wife and I, when we evangelized, we stayed in their home. Mariah was born, we stayed in their home. Ate at their table a myriad of times. Bishop Billy McCool, whenever the first church was there, and my dad was a boy, preached revivals at this church when my father was a boy and went there. Held six-week revivals. Whenever I became an evangelist, he invited me to come preach at his church. I preached at his church multiple times. All days meetings, homecomings, revivals. Stayed in their home, ate at their table. Basically, in reality, really became a part of their family. We are close to a lot of his family was there whenever his son tragically death and their family was there all these things he had a radio program preaching the word of the lord i i need to find out i he may have still been doing that i don't know done it for years every sunday morning as we were getting ready for church and they're preaching on sunday mornings while we're getting ready we hear bishop billy mccool on the radio he was just going white-headed have his hands up he was a man of prayer I, I had a man that he, he reached out to me and wanted to know if I knew about he, uh, the, the health of him, another pastor. And I said, yes, I do. And he used to go to church there years ago, but now he pastors his own church. He said, I remember Bishop Billy. He said we, they had to have service on Saturday nights, always. 
consistently. And they had service on Saturday night and said, boy, we had such a good service charge one Saturday night. I remember it. He said, Bishop Billy said he was going to, uh, he was going to go home. He's going to pray all night. He said, I figure he did. He said, he came in this church on Sunday morning through the double doors. He was just speaking in tongues, not even saying one, one thing in English. He was just speaking in tongues. What are you saying? If, if the example of Christ seems lofty, then consider some of those that have already finished their journey and see how it ended. And maybe see an example of a peer that was able to live the way he wanted me to live. Someone say amen. Brother Mason, if you could come this morning. Amen. Earthly vessels. A divine work in an earthly vessel. Folks, that is the writing of Scripture. It says that this gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost, because he has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. But he has given us this treasure, not in posh, not in gold and silver and gem-studded vessels, no, earthly. He's given us this treasure in earthen vessels. So Why? So that the praise of whatever happens through the vessel isn't anything the vessel can testify about because it's earthen. But it's the treasure that's in the vessel. I preached it before. The treasure doesn't get anything. It's not like the treasure is made better because it's found in the earthen vessel. It's quite the opposite. The earthen vessel has a little more worth because the treasure has been invested in it. We bow our heads all across this place today. Hallelujah, Lord. God, thank you, Lord, for a divine work. God, in earthen vessels. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, if it seems far-fetched, if it seems, Lord, unable, Lord, to grasp, Lord, if we feel like, Lord, it's impossibility, God, you have given us, Lord, real-life examples. Lord Jesus, peers, people, Lord, that we eat with, Lord, we go to church with, Lord, that we rub shoulders with, God, every generation. God, I pray, Lord. God, you told, Lord Jesus, in the book of Solomon, the, the, the beloved, they came and said, where, where, where is he at? Where can I find him? I've preached this before. And they said, why don't you, all you got to do to find him is follow the footsteps of the flock. Just follow the footsteps of the flock. Because the sheep know his voice and a stranger they will not follow. Just follow. If you want to find him, then follow the footsteps of those that are truly his flock. Because they're going to be gravitating toward him. They're going to be near him. I hope somewhere in life that I could truly say like the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That there would be a divine work in an earthen vessel. These altars are open this morning. Brother Mason, can we do the old song? I want to be what he wants me to be. Live. Thank you. Oh, yes. Made in the form of man, likeness of a servant. Obedient unto death, the cruelest of death, the death of a cross. Yet God highly exalted him. God, ring me out. I 
God, ring me out. God, we could never ever. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.